Welcome to semester four, episode seven of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Krista, an Ivy Wise counselor and former assistant director of admissions at Johns Hopkins University. And joining me today is my friend and fellow Ivy Wise colleague, Tiffany, who is a former assistant director of admissions at MIT. And she also worked in admissions at the University of Virginia and Colgate University. We often refer to U.S. college admissions officers using a holistic review when evaluating applications. So in this episode, we're going to break down what that really means and how admissions committees build their first year classes. So Tiffany, would you mind explaining a little bit more of what holistic review really means? I wouldn't mind at all. So holistic admissions is something that we repeat quite a bit in the U.S. United States college admissions process. And I do think it's a hallmark. It's a distinction in um, the U.S. application system, especially in comparison to international or other systems that might really emphasize one area of an applicant and really focus in on that area and that area alone. For example, you might be used to um, having to take a placement exam or an interest exam, a national competition based on one exam and the results of that exam might mean your admission or your admissions decision for a particular uh, college or university. Other college systems might just consider your grades and your scores in certain areas in your secondary school experience, but not consider the fact that you're an amazing leader, an accomplished musician, and other parts of your personality or your talents that you might bring to that college campus. Um, So the holistic review really means and acknowledges that there are multiple parts of your personality, um, your talents, your your application, and that the admissions office is willing to consider each and every single one of those areas. They not only focus in on your academics and your extracurriculars, your uh, contributions to your current community various aspects, but they also um, pull it apart and put it back together. They consider all of those pieces and how they might merge together in your application. These pieces really matter when we're crafting a class. Colleges want to have students with diverse interests inside and outside of the classroom um, that pull together different perspectives and different interests and different passions. So ultimately, how they use these pieces of the applications really depends on um, what kind of class and collegiate experience they're trying to build for you. So I think one of the very first questions to think about when you consider um, holistic admissions would be that admissions committees consider, like, what will you bring to campus, not only inside of the classrooms and outside of the classrooms as well. So they're really considering these pieces of your academic experience and your applications. One of the very first ways that they consider um, when they shape a class and build a class in holistic admissions, they're considering academic diversity. I know as a applicant, you rush to a university really known for that one thing, that one area. They have a very established STEM program, a very established political science program. Um, remember that a university, however, pres- supports all parts of their academic community and their campus. The uh, even MIT has a humanities department, a natural sciences department. It has a creative writing uh, staff and and faculty. They want a college campus that has 
all types of academic interests and thoughts colliding together for truly an interdisciplinary experience. So they're looking for students to support all parts of their campus. Each academic program, right, wants to have a significant amount of students, a sufficient amount of students without it being too large to overwhelm or overpopulate the experience. Because if you can imagine that one classroom or one department is overloaded, overrun with students and the other um, department may not have as many to support, these two classes, these two um, programs, these students majoring in two different areas might have wildly different experiences. As a college admissions office crafts a class, one of the things they are definitely looking for is academic diversity, your academic interests and shaping it, partnering it with how you build a class and an experience on campus. One very specific example that I'll use is that MIT is, is known for engineering, perhaps known for computer science, EECS, um, electrical engineering, computer science, or core six, core six, as they call it on MIT's campus, is really popular, incredibly known, is the largest department on campus. But how many of us have heard about Course 24? Course 24 is linguistics. Um, and so every year in the admissions office, if we would even come across an application that, that sounded as though they were familiar with, could contribute to the linguistics department. Um, if you may not be familiar that Noam Chomsky, <laughs> Chomsky was, was a professor, um, a part of building that program at MIT, a very established linguistic um, professor. We want to create a program, a campus that that encourages and, and, and supports his program. So one of the very first things that they think about when they build a class would be that academic diversity. The second piece that you might want to consider is that there are a lot of uh, tangential programs that contribute to campus life. And an admissions officer is trying to support all of those things. For example, athletics. I know it's probably a, a concept that many of us are familiar with, but, but they're looking for, you know, athletic um, contributions that you might be able to, to contribute to their campus, to their athletic programs. Some may be surprised, but did you know that, that Princeton has 37 varsity teams? Um, most, if not all of these teams are recruiting new members every single year. MIT has uh, 33 varsity teams, many at the Division III level. Our point is that uh, they're looking for ways that students might contribute to athletic programs, but other special programs that might not come to mind. For example, ROTC, Reserve Our Officer Training Corps. Right. Um, many campuses might have a specific program like ROTC. They might have new initiatives on their campus that they would love to see students take the realm and take the 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 reins um, and drive it forward. It might be um, environmental um, efforts in terms of conservation. It might be religious uh, um, uh yeah, and interfaith dis discussions and displays. So there are many different programs when you think about a college campus and what makes it thrive and what makes it run um, that admissions officers have in the back of their minds while they're reading your applications as they try to shape a class. So that's one way um, uh, that they're imagining who you are, how you contribute inside of the classroom and outside of the classroom. But they're also considering other things like who you are just by being you. And so Krista, if you could talk a little bit more about that, that would be great. 
Yeah. A lot of really great points, Tiffany. Um, so one way that they're looking at who you are uh, is where are you from, right? They want geographic diversity too. So they want students to be able to come to campus and teach each other about, you know, living in different parts of the country or even the world. I remember my freshman year, my roommate was Canadian and I was from Baltimore. I went to Johns Hopkins as an undergrad. So it was really fun for her to teach me about, you know, her hometown and vice versa. Right. Um, and so on break, she would bring me maple syrup, but then I would bring her um, a local staple of burger cookies. Right. We talk about the history of them. So geographic diversity really does add to the conversations. And so a lot of colleges are looking to have students come from many different states, if not, you know, all 50 states and different territories. And so, you know, they're looking at where you're coming from as one part of the picture. Some institutions might even have bylaws around this. So for example, um, some state schools, have a max on the number of out-of-state students that they can take. Some state schools take a lot of out-of-state students. So it really depends on each individual institution. But for example, UNC can only have a max of 18% of out-of-state students. So that's something to take into account too, or where are the students coming from at the colleges that you're thinking about? Another geographic form of diversity is, are they a domestic student or considered international, right? Uh, for example, a lot of Hopkins undergrad class is international. About 15% of the undergraduate class is international. Whereas MIT, on the other hand, uh, has a cap on the number of international students in its bylaws, right, Tiffany? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that that cap is maybe not as well known. Um, so I think that that's a wonderful example that the um, conversations around international versus domestic, in-state versus out-of-state are not only for our public schools like your UNC Chapel Hills or University of Virginia. Um, UC Berkeley has been in the news about their acceptance in terms of in-state and out-of-state students. Um, but it's also something that impacts a number of private schools like private institutions, MIT being an example, but they're not alone. So it, where you're coming from, your perspective, your voice definitely, definitely matters. I also think about that international piece um, in wanting campuses, wanting to make sure that it's truly international, no shade for our friends in Canada or, or Mexico or our neighbors, um, but wanting that international perspective and the voice to truly represent the world. World. Um, so one of the things that they're considering would not only be that you're coming from abroad, but which region and your experiences that you can not only bring to the classroom, but to add to the fabric and the richness that is the campus. So we would hate for our international population to be all from one country, one neighborhood one region. Um, so I think that there's even diversity or uh, flexibility um, in the international pool. But speaking of that kind of um, diversity or that um, 
identity piece of how you might identify, connect with your culture, your heritage and things of that nature. Identity, I think, is another really important piece that admissions officers are considering and factoring into the admissions um, conversation. So I just mentioned kind of culturally and um, where you are international versus domestic, but I'd say identity has so many different layers. And I should just also start off by saying that I, I there isn't one specific correct answer towards um, the identity that they're looking for. So when I mean identity, it could be racial um, identity. It can be um, uh, cultural identity. Uh, we would love to, to make sure that there are genuine deep conversations happening in the classrooms, reaching across differences. Um, So identity might even be gender um, and how you identify in that sense. Some colleges are really looking for a split that is close as possible to be a 50-50 gender split. Um, They want to make sure that there isn't an overwhelming majority or um, a, a, a one singular voice. There's a richness that happens when we can um, borrow off of each other's ideas and exchange across difference. Um, And I think admissions officers certainly have your identity in the forefront of their minds as they try to make sure that there's a fabric or exchange of ideas that will happen on their campus. I think that it also plays nicely to something else that they're considering or looking for, um, which would be consideration of our shared experiences across um, our familiarity with Uh, education, higher ed, but also socioeconomic diversity. Um, The college experience could be a great equalizer. And so with that being said, they want to make sure that there's a great socioeconomic diversity in their classrooms, that there's room for the college student that will be the first in their generations um, to attend a college or university. Many colleges, including specifically the highly selective colleges, are working to improve um, access and equity in the admissions process. They're increasing their uh, percentages of the class that will be a first generation um, to the college or university, and they're increasing the opportunities, the financial support to allow more um, families from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to really consider that campus as an option. So um, when we think about our identities, it's not only our racial identity, it's not only our cultural identities, our genders perhaps, but it's also kind of the the, uh, socioeconomic fabric that comes from uh, opportunities that have come, that we've come from, but it's also the idea that um, we're welcoming all of these voices in the admissions process for sure. If this college or university has a religious affiliation, your religion could come into play. Um, Your commitment to their ideals um, and their foundational doctrines could truly come into play. They might be aiming for a certain percentage of their class to be for from a specific religious denomination or hold a specific value, if you will. On the contrary, your religious uh, thought might be a layer of your diversity, right? Um, even some of the most um, 
pronounced colleges or universities that have a religious affiliation appreciate having an interfaith dialogue. And so some examples, um, I think of our Jesuit schools out there, uh, your um, Georgetown, Boston College, Notre Dame, um, some of these universities that have a very um, pronounced or even gentle, subtle uh, religious affiliation, they definitely value interfaith dialogue that might really value um, and take into consideration your participation in a synagogue or in a different faith-based religion. So there are a number of different ways that they're considering all of the layers that you will bring to this campus. Last but not least, they might also consider, um, the admissions office is certainly considering all of these layers, but other parts of campus um, might also consider your layers and what you might contribute to our campus as well. So for example, I think we've all heard of the Varsity Blues scandal, um, but an admissions office, a university is certainly considering the ways that you can contribute to a campus, but it is not, not just financial. Um, there are ways to contribute your cultural capital, your social capital to a college or university as well. They're looking for your contributions. So for example, legacies, right? If you are from a generation or several generations that have attended that college or university, you might or, or is likely to be considered a legacy, but the university is also considering your family's contributions to the college community, the, the university's community. For example, Stanford's class of 2023 is about 16% legacy students. Um, and so the idea that they've taken into consideration your, your heritage, your family's contribution to the community is something that a legacy policy really um, embraces. It's important to note that not all, certainly not all colleges or universities are taking into consideration legacy status. Um, for example, um, I correct me if I'm wrong, um, Krista, but I don't believe that Johns Hopkins takes into um, legacy into consideration as other universities would. Yeah, Hopkins eliminated considering legacy at all in the admissions process. I think it's almost 10 years ago now, around that time. So uh, you'll start to see some other colleges are, are also taking a similar path too. But, you know, there are also plenty of colleges that, like you were saying, do consider that legacy aspect too. So that's a great question. Great point. So when we're talking about kind of, I guess you would say, um, your ability to contribute not only through your family family's legacy, but maybe through your specific talents or um, uh, or cultural capital that you might bring. For example, celebrities and their kids, right? Um, Emma Watson is at Brown and, and we can go on like where, where did the Obama children attend their um, college or university? Um, certainly um, colleges take into consideration um, the cultural capital, the social capital that you might bring. They're not looking for necessarily a um, financial contribution at all. They're looking for the idea that you would bring your talents to campus, your um, opportunities to network to campus and things of that nature. So development cases, not only just a, a contribution of a financial means, but certainly a contribution in terms of um, building to the networking opportunities, the, the talents that happen on the campus, again, adding to the richness and the fabric of, of class and of um, 
of the experience that students have on campus. All of these attributes have to um, come together. I used to have a colleague. He's actually a, a colleague here at uh, Ivy Wise with me. But um, uh, McGregor would always say that, you know, it's like making sausage. We all love um, how the class comes together, but no one wants to see how it's made. And I think that that is very true as an admissions officer um, really considers the various layers of your personality and your application beyond grades and scores and things of that nature um, in order to compile and compose a very dynamic, rich class that in turn attracts another amazing class of applicants. But imagine that there's this big challenge in in managing the class in a day-to-day and how to get it all done. So Krista, any thoughts on how we manage the class side? Yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, Colleges need to take all of these different factors into account that we've talked about while still trying to hit a target number of total students in the class. And that target can change year to year. So if a college over-enrolled a previous year, they may then go to accept fewer students the following year or vice versa. If a college is, you know, under-enrolled the previous year, they may accept more students the following year. So, you know, that they have a target because they don't want to have a huge over-enrollment or huge under-enrollment in the class. And so um, that's something to take into account too, is these colleges are trying to take all these different pieces of the puzzle, put it together and still fit it within a certain number size. Um, And so many colleges, I'm just going to put a quick plug here, is that many colleges um, are doing this in different ways. But one way that we're seeing more and more often is that a lot of these colleges are starting to fill a higher percentage of their class through ED1 or and or ED2, if that's offered, because that allows them to more easily manage the class size since they know those students are coming. So early decision is when students are signing an agreement saying, if I'm admitted, I will come. So So it's less of a um, guessing game for these colleges. And so just know that when you hear about early decision as part of the offerings of the types of rounds that colleges provide, that's one reason that colleges might provide ED1 or ED2 is because they're trying to have this amazing dynamic class, but fit it with all, all within a class size number and hit that target. And so Just kind of wrapping up everything we've talked about so far and summarizing it, you know, holistic review colleges really are looking at how you would be a fit for their academic institution. How would you thrive given their academic opportunities, you know, both within the classroom, but also how would you engage outside the classroom? So they're both determining you as an academic fit as well as a greater community member, right? Because if you go to that campus, you're not just going to be in the classroom. You'll be a classmate, you'll be a group mate in in different student groups. You'll be a community member within that greater city, town. And so they're thinking about how you'd be a fit as an institution. And that's on the micro level. I call it the micro level of evaluation, right? And so they're also then within that looking at that more macro level that we've been talking about. How do we create that really diverse, dynamic class where all the students are 
able to bring a different perspective to campus and enhance those conversations. And so, you know, these colleges are thinking about everything from the athletes, how to fill those teams to the legacies, right? To the different geographic diversity, to the identities, right? All those different pieces we've talked about. And so, you know, one thing that I talk about with my students is right now, your job is just to be the best you, right? To take advantage of all the opportunities at your fingertips, both academically and outside the classroom. And so you can really become, once again, the best version of you, right? Because you will come to campus and give your perspective and be able to enhance that campus culture. But just know that, you know, you could be the juiciest peach in Georgia, but if they need more apples for, you know, their fruit basket, um, that's okay. That doesn't mean that, you know, you are not a great student. It just means that they needed to craft this really diverse class. And so um, that's something that we really wanted to point out is that college admissions is not just about that micro level, right? They are looking at how you'd be a fit for the institution, but also how you fit into this greater puzzle, because it really is putting together a puzzle, right? How do all these different pieces match together to create this awesome class? Um, And so really right now, you know, you should be taking advantage of the opportunities, maximizing your high school experience. And another thing that you can think about is crafting a well-balanced college list, right? This is why, you know, your admission to one highly selective institution is not necessarily representative of your likelihood at another, right? Because every institution shapes their class differently, right? They have a different number of athletic teams that they need to fill, right? That's just one example. So, you know, you should be crafting a really well-balanced college list filled with those, you know, dream reaches, those target schools and those likely schools, all of which you'd be happy to attend. And so that's what you can do now, but it is helpful to know, you know, you're taking the first step by listening to this podcast and learning how the sausage is made (laughs) per Tiffany's uh, example, right? Just so you understand kind of behind the curtain, what happens so you can see, okay, they're going to review my application holistically, but I also would be needing to fit into the greater puzzle piece. And so once again, just reiterating, you know, understanding the process will help you become an even more, um, well, you know, knowledgeable students. That way, you know, going into the admissions process, what happens. Um, Do you have anything else to add, Tiffany? I just couldn't agree with you more, Krista, as I think about, um, you know, as you reflect on the students you work with now as an Ivy Wise counselor, as I reflect on the students that I work with now as an Ivy Wise counselor, um, there's this desire to almost say like, okay, so how do I, you know, um, change my narrative or build my narrative so I'm someone or something that, you know, like, so I'm the the apple and the peach and the banana and all the things. So I know that they'll need me. And I just, just want to reinforce or just highlight to anyone listening to this podcast that now that you understand that they are dissecting, not dissecting, wrong word, that they are carefully considering all of the wonderful attributes that make you who you are and they consider it as a part of how you contribute to their campus. One of the most important pieces is that it be authentic, that it be who you are. And that's why and how um, college admissions officers really help, you know, create experiences that are really um, positive 
for uh, enrolled students. Because if you are your authentic self, um, if you are all of the peach that you are meant to be um, and an admissions office accepts you, it's because they need and they value the peach. And therefore, it sets you up for a, a great, a very positive experience while on their campus. And so I just want to give one plug um, to being your authentic self. Um, no way to predict exactly what a college campus needs and when they'll need it. I should also just highlight that many of these things that they consider in holistic admissions vary from year to year and are very personal and perhaps private to that college or university and their process. And so what something else that you can do as you listen to um, the many considerations that go into an admissions office and an admissions office decision, um, remember to be authentic and true to yourself and know that should it result in a yes, it's because they value all the attributes that make you who you are. So that's my last two cents, I think I'll say um, about that. But I think that this just about wraps up this episode. So I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to Just Admit It. And um, please be sure to catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help in navigating the complex and competitive um, admissions process. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok for more college prep resources. So stay tuned um, for our next episode in which we'll share an insight into the admissions process for non-traditional medical school programs, such as the MBS MD program. So thanks everyone. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next podcast.